This is Saving Grace, Living in Light of God's Love, a podcast ministry brought to you by Grace School of Theology, a seminary to the world committed to the truth of Scripture and life application through the lens of grace. Hello and welcome. I'm Carmen Pate, your host for this podcast. Welsh Protestant minister Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, The world outside is not going to pay much attention to all the organized efforts of the Christian church. The one thing she will pay attention to is a body filled with the spirit and rejoicing. That is how Christianity conquered the ancient world. Well, today we're going to continue our discussion on the success of the early church in radically influencing their world and what we can learn from them. Our guest is Dwight Edwards, Senior Pastor of Waters Edge Community Church in Houston, Texas. Dwight has been a pastor for over 30 years and has ministered throughout the United States and around the world. He studied at Dallas Theological Seminary, is a graduate of University of Mary Hardin-Baylor. He's a current best-selling author of books, including Kindling for the Fire, Revolution Within, Releasing the Rivers Within, and his newest book that we're discussing today, Game-Changing Christianity. Welcome back, Dwight. Thank you, Carmen. Glad to be here. Well, you know, last week we talked about the calling of Christians to enter the battlefield. Really for the purpose of making Christ and his plan known to the world, Absolutely. wouldn't you say? Absolutely. Right? Yes. Right? So that would be a daunting task for any group or individual. But God didn't leave us unresourced for that task, did he? Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Let's talk about some of the resources uh, that, that God has given us. Uh, one of them being spiritual gifts, for example, the importance of spiritual gifting. Yeah, and I think that sometimes spiritual gifts are overemphasized. And for instance, in Corinth, we saw that. Yeah. I think the vast majority of the time, they're way underemphasized. The, the greatest danger of spiritual gifts is neglect and so forth. And I think as you go through the New Testament, spiritual gifts are a big issue. Yes. Uh, and, and I like to think of it this way. They are the primary canon God has given us to, to fire into the gates of hell. It's not that they're the only thing we do, but I like to put it this way. The, the, the tyranny of the urgent so often trumps the giftedness of the saint. Mm. And, and you see, I think you see this in ministry all the time. Don't you? you know? yes. And it, it, that's why I, say, I think it's interesting. Paul writes to Timothy, who's obviously covered over with ministry, and he says, do not neglect the gift that is in you. Mm-hmm. Then he'll say in, in, in 2 Timothy, fan into flames the gift of God that's in you, both times the spiritual gift. Um, and that was one of the beauties of those first 300 years. Like I said, there, there were no professionals. There was no clergy versus laity. So that everybody had a chance to utilize their gifts. And, and, and you see Paul pushing towards that in his letters. You know, everybody has a gift. Use it for the glory of God. And that's your, that's your strong suit. Uh, Mm -hmm. And honestly, I fear that, that, that way too many good hearted, faithful Christians come and go and never really lock into knowing what their gift is and utilizing it well. Oh, I agree totally. As a matter of fact, what I see is a lot of burnout Absolutely. in the church today because people are plugged into the wrong places. That's, right. That's exactly uh, right. We, we put everyone in children's ministry. Yeah. Well, there are those that are called to children's That's right. ministry. That's exactly right. Let's, let's put them there because yeah. they're going to be passionate and excited Absolutely. and make a difference in those children's yeah. lives. Uh, so, so I agree. The, the knowing your gifts is critical. The ministry that I was with uh, most recently, Alliance Ministries, it was all about helping people to understand their spiritual yeah. gifts, finding 
finding their place in God's story. Right. Because when you do, Dwight, you also have this passion that goes with uh, the work that God has called you to do. Yeah, there, there's just a, a level of energy. Uh, yeah. There's a, a level of voltage, really, mm-hmm. that flows through the believer when we're operating uh, in, sphere, in the sphere of our primary gift. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's just nothing like it. You know, yes. and 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 once once you've experienced it, you know, you're kind of you're you're hooked. You you, you know, but no, wait, <laughs> yeah. this is what I was made for. You yes. know, I've yes. never felt the river of God flow as powerfully through me as when this happens, yes. you know, and so forth. So, you know, I just uh, encourage believers, find that gift, yes. use it. Yes, yes, absolutely. I agree. And, and another great resource that we have that is underutilized is prayer. Sure. Uh, and and yet it's one of the strongest weapons we have against the enemy, Dwight. Well, it's a great example what we talked about last time is, is how the basics are what win the day. Mm-hmm. And when you say prayer, everybody yawns. Mm-hmm. It's like, you're right. I, I, from day one, I've heard that and so okay. forth. But I, I like what C. John Miller it has a wonderful book called Outgrowing the Ingrown Church. And in it, he, he makes a distinction between maintenance praying and frontline praying. Now, I, I think mm-hmm. it's a really interesting thought. He says maintenance praying it has a very legitimate part of the Christian life. It's basically give us this day our daily bread. You know, Lord, I've got needs. Please meet these needs. And, and that's not to be underestimated. But frontline praying is saying, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Mm-hmm. And basically, it's, it's calling heaven to strafe earth yes. with the heavy artillery. Uh, and, 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 to, and so you see Paul, as he talks to these, or as he writes back to the Thessalonians, he says, you know, we've been praying night and day for you, mm-hmm. that your faith grows, you know, so forth and, and so on. So um, I think that's a whole new realm for a lot of believers. I think a lot of us are kind of caught in maintenance praying. Yes. And yes. the idea of just specifically praying for people that, that for instance, are not unbelievers, that they come to know Christ. Wow. Specifically praying for believers. And one thing that I like to do is just memorize the Paul's the prayers of Paul and 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 pray that prayer for that person. Oh, you can't go there's wrong. There's so many good ones. So many beautiful <laughs> yeah. prayers. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Wow. And and yes, if we would if we would use that amazing gift that yeah. God has given us, I think we would see so many more Miracles, truly. Here well, on, and here and that's our... why I would say this. I think one of the things that Satan most viciously attacks mm-hmm. is our prayer life and our time alone with God. Yes, I think yes. he knows that, that mm-hmm. if that's in place, mm-hmm. you know, it's hazardous to his kingdom. Yes. Uh, so just recognize, you know, a close walk with God has to be fought for. It never mm-hmm. just falls in, into place, yes. you know. Yes. But I, I do think as, as, you, as you read the letters of Paul, mm-hmm. he really saw prayer as the front line yes. and the actual coming along and teaching and discipleship as, as um, you know, behind that first line mm-hmm. is, is sort of the secondary offense coming in. Yes. Well, in your book, you talk about other resources as well. And again, I encourage our audience to get your book and learn more about community and, and working together and not alone and all of those things. But I wanted us to move on because uh, I really want us to get to to that topic of supernaturally changed lives. Uh, you know, in this day of mega churches that weekly have thousands of people in attendance, we might lose sight of what really is evidence of a successful church. We see the size of the church, the people attending, the size of the praise team, etc., the number of programs they have throughout the week, and we go, oh yeah, this is a successful church. Uh, and, and, and yet, is that the way God would, would is that what he's looking for? Uh, so you write, supernaturally changed lives 
That makes the gospel an issue like nothing else. Why is it the supernaturally changed lives, that surprise factor in a Christian's life that really is the success factor in a church? Well, a couple of thoughts. One is um, that's, that's the one thing that cannot be discounted or swept under the rug. Mm-hmm. You know, when you see a truly transformed life, mm-hmm. uh, it preaches louder than a thousand sermons. And, and what's interesting in this regard, that was clearly the case in the, um, in the first few hundred years. But the other group I focus on, the Moravians, mm-hmm. John Wesley, from a human perspective, entirely owes his conversion to the Moravians. And what got his attention, uh, first and foremost, is he was coming over to Georgia on a ship, and the ship's about to break apart, and he sees the Moravians, and they're singing, and they're praying, and there's no fear whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And he's scared to death. And he, he, he goes to him and says, what, ma- you know, what made the difference? And it's a slow process, but ultimately, he was so intrigued with their lives and kept talking with that Peter Bowler ultimately leads him to the Lord. And mm-hmm. even though he was an ordained clergyman, he'd never trusted Christ uh, alone. And that happens yes. at Aldersgate Street. So, um, you know, I think as you go through, you know, the history of the church and even today, mm-hmm. you know, even today, the, you know, for all the downside of the church, there's wonderful exceptions. You know, the way that yes. the way that the Amish responded to um, the tragic uh, killings in 2006 when oh. the man walked in and uh, I believe it is he killed six of their, oh, their children yes. and so forth. Yes. And so reporters streamed down. Uh, to see what was going to be said. And the first thing that they heard is all the Amish saying, we forgive him. Mm-hmm. We forgive him. And then they find out that, because uh, I mean, the guy, man's wife didn't know anything about, about this mm-hmm. or why this happened, uh, a good percentage of them went to attend his funeral to, to support the wife. And then some of the women got together and they established a fund to help get the wife back on her feet Mm. with all this going on. Well, you look at that, you said there has to be God, there has to be God in Israel. Yes. yes. That that does not happen. So, so there's some wonderful exceptions. And I I just think if we would, would, would really attack life Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. with the the question surprise in front of us, you know, what can I do? God, what can you do through me? you know, that would catch others off guard. You know, I think that we'd go a long, long way. Absolutely. And, you know, when we talk about success in the church, we have to really to, to, to stop and consider what the church is. It's the body of Christ. And it's the body of Christ out in the world, out in the exactly. workplace. Exactly. So let's talk about that, because certainly in the workplace, we have such an opportunity to live surprising lives, don't we? Well, and this is one of the things that I, I found so compelling and significant in the first uh, first three centuries is they leveraged the workplace like we've never seen since. And what I mean by that is that they recognize that the workplace is the most natural and um, really in many ways easy place to start with the relationships that are just developed through through the give and take of the workplace. Mm-hmm. And they really saw the workplace as a major beachfront for the gospel. They They never ever saw that working was taking you away from ministry. Mm. They, that, that was incomprehensible. It was a place for ministry. It was a place for <laughs> ministry. And so they would do a great job, mm. but then they would treat them you know, with differently than the, the non-Christians mm-hmm. would, invite them over their houses and so forth. This would be a, a huge, huge game changer mm-hmm. if, if mm-hmm. the church could really take hold of this. Now, here's what's interesting is the Moravians picked that up as well. So Zinzendorf, the head of the Moravians, uh, they would pay the way of 
of the missionaries to get over there, but it was expected that they would work once they got over there. And the reason was this. Zinzendorf said, number one, this is the best place to meet unbelievers. It's the most natural place. Number two, you know business practices that they don't. You're going to benefit the business people in in your sphere of influence. You're going to help them make more money just because you know things that they don't yet know. And you're going to do that no strings attached. Mm. You're just going to help them. And they're going to get curious and say, "What? why are you doing this? And you say, well, it's the man named Jesus. Changed yeah. my life and so forth. So I, I just think that this, to me, is a huge issue in the church yes. today. You know, yes. for, for so long, we've made this dichotomy between ministry and the working world, mm-hmm. which is just tragic beyond Isn't description. It? Just it? beyond description. Absolutely. So uh, that's one of the things I love about what you saw in that uh, those first 300 years. Absolutely. And you know, you, you used a word at the beginning of this this uh, this, this discussion, uh, relationships. Yeah. We're not talking about Okay, so that means I've got to go to the workplace. I've got to take my Bible. I've got to make sure it's on my desk. I've got to make sure that I call everyone together for prayer and time of scripture reading. And, and, and not to discount those, but, but, but we forget that we're talking about building relationships Absolutely. with people. Oh. And earning that trust to have the opportunity at some point, right. maybe at lunch or maybe at our home, uh, about Jesus. Well, Young Life has the great statement, yeah. winning the right to be heard. The right to be heard. And, yeah. and, and I just think that's such a great way to look at it. You know, I think those early believers, you know, that they went to happy hour with the, uh, the unbelievers, yes. they, they didn't get drunk. Right. But, but right. they went to where they were so that they could relate to him. They went to the Colosseum together. Uh, they, you know, spent time uh, inviting him over to their homes. But again... No strings attached. And, and, and this is where I think First Peter 3.15 became so important, where he says, Set, Sanctify the Lord God always in your heart, and be ready always to give a defense for the reason, the hope that is in you. And the point is, they're going to be asking. Yes. You know, live in such a way, uh, set apart the Lord Jesus in your heart, that you may be ready always to give an answer to everyone who asks you. Mm. who asks you of the yes. hope that's in you yes. and so yes. forth. And so I just like the phrase lead by surprise, oh, you know, and, yes. and don't feel like that, you know, your first encounter with an unbeliever is when you need to share the, the, the verbiage of the gospel. Right, right. You know, maybe that happens, but rarely, you know, no, yeah. normally it's winning the right Must to be heard. Uh-huh. You know, it's, it's just being a friend, you know, through thick and thin and so forth. Yes. You know, it, it said Jesus was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Mm-hmm. He wasn't an acquaintance. He was a friend. Friend, a friend. means, friend a, friend means a, friend. a lot more. It means a lot more in that day than it does in ours. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, which means, I, I think, as you, as you read the Gospels, he spent a lot of time hanging out with so much so that the Pharisees said, your, your master um, eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners. He's winning the right to be heard. And, you know, I think, too, in this politically correct yes. uh, day that we live in, Christians have been stereotyped. Uh-huh. So people expect, the world, rather, I should say, expects Christians to behave in a certain way, which to them is repulsive. Right. And uh, and so we can do things that do take them by surprise, that draw them to Christ rather than repel them from Absolutely. Uh, you know, and, and one of the problems today is that the evangelical church is way too predictable. You know, people that have, they put us in a category and the problem is they have a lot of people who fit that category. And I would say wherever we can be surprising, be surprising. One of the things I found that, that that I think helps immensely is with unbelievers. Just be curious about them. Mm-hmm. Just be curious about them. Enter their world. Enter their world. Uh-huh. Ask, you know, because yeah. nobody in their world is really, you know, interested in them, really, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. with, with rare exception. So if, if we just start from that, 
You know, it just opens up the door uh, to be able to talk in a casual, relaxed, yes. uh, non-threatening, you know, kind of way. It, just that one thing. But exactly, um, finding common ground. Right. Things exactly. That you can, exactly. Yes, absolutely. Awesome. Wow. Well, uh, you point out in your book that Paul measured success by the supernaturally changed lives, but his measuring stick was as simple as faith, hope, and love. Explain. We never talk about this. No. This, this, this is staggering to me. Yes. And, and, and I just, the more I got into it. So, it, you know, it starts off in, in, in 1 Thessalonians 1 where he says, uh, remembering your work of faith, your labor of love, your patience of hope. He defines that later in the chapter by saying how that you turn to God from idols. That was the labor of faith. Uh, to serve the living and true God. It was, excuse me, the work of faith was to turn to God from, uh, from idols. To serve the living and true God was the labor of love and to wait his son for heaven was the patience of hope. But it's all over the New Testament. It's, it's not like that's the one place. Right, I mean, right. Then you, you go, 2 Thessalonians, he's saying the same thing. Colossians, he's saying the same thing. Mm. Ephesians, he's saying the same thing. Now listen to this, though. In 1 Corinthians 13, he puts it this way. Now abide faith, hope, <laughs> and love. And then you know what he says? These three. These three. And so it's very specifically, he says, you know, these are the big three. And so what I just say is when he took the pulse of any local church, any ecclesia, you know, called out believers, that's what he's looking for. He says, how is the faith doing? How is the love doing? How is the hope doing? <laughs> mm -hmm. And that is entirely how he measured success. Um, and in my book, I quote from George Barna, yes. who, who, who's done extensive study on this and said, you know, that is not the metric today. <laughs> you know, no. it's, it's size of the church. Uh, it's the budget. It's the size of the, of the, uh, the church building, mm -hmm. you know, number of programs and so forth. How big the staff is. How big the staff is. <laughs> right. And it just gets back to the simple fact that... Nothing makes the gospel an issue yeah. like changed lives. Yes. And when you have faith, hope, and love riding together, mm. you have a changed life. Yes, you yes. You have a changed life. You do. And if you are preparing your body to go out into the world right. and make a difference, I could see a pastor or, uh, and, and, and Sunday school teachers, et cetera, uh, really spending significant time in studying just those three things. Yeah. Just those three Absolutely. things. I mean, that could be a year-long study or longer. Oh, easily. easily. <laughs> well, you also have a chapter called A Three-Pronged Attack. Uh, we, we've sort of looked at those earlier, but maybe we can expound on them just a bit. You know, we may, we may have uh, those listening who say, you know what, I have been sort of distracted about other mm -hmm. things. I've not focused on faith, love, and hope. Uh, but let's go back to what we talked about last week, that word of God, the, mm. the, the, the fire of God, and that glory of God. Uh, focus again on, on just that, that attack that we can use to prepare our church. Yeah, if we just focused on those three things, it would, we, it would put us so, so far ahead. So, you know, first of all, the, the Word of God. And I would just say this, uh, the early Christians were fanatics about getting fellow men and women face to face with the Word of God, you know, and, and so that the, the earliest letters that we have, they, they're just mosaics in which quoted scripture is given along with what Polycarp or whatever is saying. So again, we won't go into more detail on that other than to say that's what changes lives, you know, pure and simple. Uh, and that's, that's why they were so fanatical to get that out. The issue of passion, I, I, I would just put it this way. Michael Green's written a, a tremendous book uh, called Evangelism in the First Century Church. So there would be a great read on this. And, and he says, as I read the writings of these early Christians, I am absolutely overwhelmed by the sheer passion of these men and these women. 
And the passion was for, first and foremost, they were head over heels in love with Jesus. Uh, yes. yes. That, and that's the issue. Uh, in fact, yeah. one of the dangers comes is that we can become more passionate for a cause than for a person, oh, which is, is the church of Ephesus in, in, in Revelation 2. Mm-hmm. You know, they were passionate and God and Jesus says, you know, I know your works, your labor of love. You've tested the false apostles, on and on. And he commends them for it. Mm-hmm. He said, now I have this against you. Mm. You've left your first love. You're more, you're more passionate about a cause than you are a person. And I, I think that's a crucial thing to kind of reel back in and say, you know, the, the, where's the, 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 the most of my firepower being derived from? Mm-hmm. Uh, is it that intimacy, that relationship with Christ, or yeah. is it kind of secondary things? So I would say, you know, first and foremost, the passion came because they never got over the wonder of it all. They mm-hmm. never got over the all, the love. They never got over what it was that Jesus had saved them and continues to walk them through and so forth. Yeah. So, so that you know that was the passion, and then that translated over to the we call the glory of God or surprising lives. You know, and just you know a, a couple of things that came up. One, there was two major uh, epidemics uh, during those first three hundred years in which hundreds of thousands of people died. The pagans typically, as soon as the plague hit the the the, uh, the city, they're gone. Oh, of course, they're they're out of there. <laughs> the Christians were the only ones. They they stayed, and not only did they help their own people, they helped the the pagans as well. Again, no strings attached. Not saying you have to become a Christ follower. They just helped them, and a number of them contracted the disease and died helping the the unbelievers. So much so that we have the record of pagan emperors saying, "Why don't our people t- treat one another?" like the Christians treat theirs. In fact, the Christians are helping our people, you know, and so forth. So, so that was one. Reckless hospitality. You know, it wasn't easy to find a place to stay when you went to a new place. Mm-hmm. The Christians were known as go to them. Yes, you know, yes. They will take you and so forth. And that's why in the New Testament you find so much emphasis on hospitality, where the word literally means love of strangers or, or fondness of strangers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And basically they bring them in and, again, no strings attached, love on them. And before they left, they wanted to know what's what's different about you, you yes, know, and so yes. forth. Um, we, we talked about already the uh, the infanticide. Yes, um, yes. Another huge, well, a, the greatest percentage by far of the early church were women. I mean, by far. And I think one of the reasons is, where else in that culture would a woman go to hear the words, husbands, love your wives hmm. as Christ love the church. And she's saying finally, right? Where else would she hear? Mm. In Christ, there's neither male nor female. Mm. You know, Gentile, on and on it goes. And uh, also there was obviously the emphasis on just sexual purity that we don't understand. We think it's bad here. This is Mr. Rogers compared to what it was back then. Mm. You know, We forget that. We forget that, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And um, so what we find is that there's a, 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 a sexual standard that is held that I think particularly women so appreciate mm. you know, and so mm. forth. So, so there's all kinds of re, you know, different things they did. But again, I would just make the simple point. Yeah. They led by surprise, yeah. which is what the Moravians did. Yes. As you look at it, the first two Moravians, they went to South Africa with the intention of ministering to the slaves. But they understood that in order to be able to get into the plantation and, and work side by side by the slaves, they would have to sell themselves into slavery. And they went, they went fully intending to sell themselves into slavery so that they could work side by side. Turned out they didn't have to do that. But that's that's what we're looking at. Yes. Another group went in. They would go to the leper colonies. 
And they would go in and they would contract leprosy and they would die. They would die. Sharing the gospel. And there's always two more Moravians ready to go when these two passed away. Unbelievable. It really is unbelievable. And I think it ties back to that faith, hope, and love. When you look at the Word of God, the fire of God, the glory of God, when you are in the Word of God, you can't help but fall in love with Jesus. Absolutely. You can't Absolutely. help it, right? Absolutely. And the more you know Him, the more you love Him, the more passionate you become about who He is and how He transforms lives. Yeah. And so you can't wait. You're compelled to go out and share uh, your life in loving others. It's exactly what said in, in Acts 4. It says, we are yeah. not able not to speak the things that we've seen and heard. Mm. You know, we work yeah. so hard to get people to take the risk to share their faith. Yeah. If they fall deeply enough in love with Jesus, you can't hold it back. No, you, you know, can't. It's, it's like when, when, when a couple gets engaged. There's no classes on how to break the news of your engagement to the world outside. What there need to be classes on is holding it down. You know? <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> Don't be so obnoxious yeah. about it. But, but, you know, love trumps everything. I mean, what else Yes, yes, absolutely it does. Well, you know, we can't assume that, that these things are going to happen overnight in a church or in a body uh, of believers or even in an individual's absolutely. life. So, so there, I, I guess there has to be stages. Yes, I mean, how, do we, how do we start? Walk us through. Well, and what you see in First Thessalonians is that's exactly what happened. Paul comes to them. Yes. And uh, initially, essentially, they're, they're babes in Christ. And then they continue to, to grow to the point that it says, for the gospel trumpeted forth from you. Not only Macedonia but in Achaia, but in every place your faith towards God is strong. So they they have turned around and they're act, they actually are absolutely reproducing the word of God, the fire of God, surprising lives as they pass it on. So what we like to talk about is it's just like in um, in the natural world. You begin by crawling, you graduate to walking, and then you graduate to running. Nobody skips any stage. Nobody's born in this world immediately walking. Right, right. Nobody gets fast-forwarded from crawling to running. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think that in, in the spiritual realm, it's exactly the same thing, mm-hmm. is that a person, first of all, comes to Christ, and so they're ready to crawl. The, the first thing that happens then is, is what we call the walk stage. And that's where we are primarily dependent on other believers to help us out. Mm-hmm. You know, when we first become believers, we don't know what books to read. Right. We don't know right. what the verses mean. And so, so there's the very strong, strong um, emphasis there of the fact, is, and Paul says, and you became followers of us mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in 1 Thessalonians 1. But there has to come a point in time when we move to the running stage. And the running stage occurs when we're no longer primarily dependent upon other believers, mm-hmm. but we've learned the joy and the thrill of being primarily dependent upon the Lord. And yes. that's the running stage. So that's why he says, you became imitators of us. And then he adds, and of the Lord. Mm-hmm. They've gotten to that, that final stage. Mm-hmm. Too many Christians are not making it to stage three. Right. Uh, and we, we live in a day and age where there's off-the-chart teaching 24 hours a day. Yes, yes. And you can get it anywhere you want. But what's happening is fewer and fewer believers are sinking their roots deeply into the Lord Himself. They're sinking their roots into what other gifted teachers have to say about the Bible or maybe church activity. But nothing replaces what happened in the early church, and that was sinking those roots deeply in the Lord Himself. Yes. And that takes intentionality. Absolutely does. Yes, Absolutely. yes, yes. Even though we can do nothing apart from Him, uh, we have to be say, I, I'm going to do this. Yeah, I'm going to seek Him daily exactly. and, and, and go to His Word. Well, in our closing moment, if the Moravians were watching the, the church today, uh, what advice do you think they would give 
uh, as they see how we're doing church today, what advice would they offer? Yeah, I like to, in fact, that's my last chapter is what would the early Christians, what would the um, Moravians say? Couple, uh, I would say number one, first and foremost, is never lo- lose your love for Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's, everything comes out of that. Everything yeah. comes, comes from that. And so it just be the idea of, you know, f- go back to the original design. Go, go back to the wonder of it all. You know, go back to sitting at Jesus' feet like, like Mary uh, and just soaking in his word and, and the wide-eyed wonder of, of knowing this man and this man, the love that he has for us. Secondly, I think they would say this, that you Christians spend too much time with each other. Oh, now, that, now yeah. that makes sense. Now, at the same time, there's some Christians who don't spend enough time with each other, and that's probably yeah. an even greater problem. But I do think they would say, you Christians are spending too much time with, with one another. Uh, in other words, t- so much of your life is wrapped around just church activity. Yes. You know, the, the church has become your third place. This is, this is your, your, where you go kind of to escape the, the difficulties of the world, the, the badness of the world, and so forth. We didn't do it that way. And I think they would say very seriously, you need to have more non-Christian friends. Mm-hmm. You need to spend more time with unbelievers mm-hmm. and, and winning the right to be heard, not, not spending time just trying to get the gospel to them right, and go away, right, right. but spend more time with unbelievers. I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm convinced that they would, because that's, that's what they did uh, yes. and, and so forth. Um, uh, and, and I think the final thing would be this. The Christian life is not easy. In fact, in reality, it's, it's impossible. When Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. But there's a wonderful simplicity to it, and we make it way too complicated, mm-hmm. way too complicated. And I think John 15 gives us the, 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 the simplicity of it. It's all about relationship. And there's three relationships. If we are following that, we will be dangerous Christians. If we are deepening in those, uh, we'll be making a difference for the Lord. First relationship, Christ first and foremost, the key word is abide, mm-hmm. verses 1 through 11. The second relationship is fellow believers. Yes. And all that he says in 12 through 17 there, and the different aspects of love. The third relationship is unbelievers, what he calls the world. And to have a relationship with them where the, the fragrance of Christ is being spilling over, catching their attention. The words of Christ then at the appropriate time are coming forth. And I, I would just say, you know, it's pretty simple. You it know, really you, is, you, isn't you, it? You wake up each day, you spend, if you can, time with the Lord, just at His feet, sinking, soaking Him in, enjoy, letting Him love on you. Just mm-hmm. let Him love on you. And then you go out into the world, and I think success of the day is measured in how those three relationships go. I agree. And I if, agree. If, if you wake up the next morning with breath in your nostrils, you get a chance to do it one more time. One more time. Absolutely. Time. It's a beautiful picture, and I pray that the church would, would, would rediscover this, yeah, these thanks. truths that are there. Well, I've been challenged, motivated by your book uh, as a member of the body of Christ, yeah. and I have hope for the body of Christ yeah. as a whole that we would return to the basics and live supernatural lives that would bring glory to Lord yeah. in these last days. Now, if our audience would like to learn more about you and the work that you do, uh, how what is the best way for them to find you? Well, like, a, a couple of places. They could go to uh, watersedgehouston.org. It's the, the church that I, I pastor, watersedgehouston.org. Or probably uh, easiest is uh, revolutionwithin.com. All right. Um, and then there's an, <laughs> i got too many, uh, clubimpactministries.com. One of the things that we're doing is, is, is intentionally we're, we're reaching out to what we call the affluent uh, influential because we think that they're the most unreached people group in the world. 
Wow. That the church has, doesn't really know how to reach out to these people. Yes. So we're going into country clubs, golf clubs, tennis clubs, setting up shop, and it's been phenomenal. I mean, ah. it's just so exciting. Anyway, between yes. revolutionwithin.com, watershedgehouston.org, and then clubimpactministries.com, that should pretty well cover it. <laughs> Dwight, thank you so much for taking this time with us. Oh, it's such been a awesome. to be here. Thank, thank you. you. Uh-huh. Well, we are, uh, again, thrilled to have uh, Dwight Edwards with us this week. Our guest uh, has uh, written the book, Game Changing Christianity, and you can get details in our podcast notes today. Our prayer is that you'll seek to learn more through this podcast and through Grace School of Theology. We've set up a couple of ways for you to communicate with us. You can email questions or comments to savinggrace at gsot.edu. You can also follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at SavingGraceCast. The questions and comments we receive will be addressed in future programs, so do send those in. And be sure to tell others about our podcast. It's really a great way to introduce family and friends to God's amazing grace. Thank you so much for tuning in today. And remember, the love of Christ can never be earned and can never be lost. You have been listening to Saving Grace, a podcast ministry of Grace School of Theology. For more information, visit gsot.edu slash savinggrace. Views expressed on this podcast may not always be the views of Grace School of Theology or its leadership.